Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. This is seduction music, isn't it? This will get you into bed. You're very lucky I wasn't singing. No, I'm not lucky. I'm grateful. I'm actually grateful. Because that was Prince singing Adore. And when I broke up with Trevor, he of the high-waisted trousers, even though he was leaving me and moving out of my flat in Old Street, which was before it became trendy, and he took all his CDs with him... And he was going to go out with a girl called um, Jenny, who was a stylist. I still gave him a lift with all his stuff in my Beetle. Oh, for God's sake. So I dropped him off in Knightsbridge oh. with all his stuff. Then I returned to my flat. Minnie. See, even Minnie's groaning at that. Minnie. Even the dog is like going, oh, for God's sake. So I drove back in my very old Beetle to my flat, my empty flat. Um, with the empty shelves, and I put Prince singing Adore on my tape machine, and I listened to it over and over and over again. And Trevor left a message on my answer phone. Do you remember when there were answer phones? You'd get home and you'd think, is there a red light flashing? Is there a red... There was a red light flashing. And it was this heartfelt message saying, I know you're probably listening to Prince... But I want to tell you that I will always be your friend and I will always be there oh, for you. bugger off. And I never heard from him again. Bugger off. Yeah, I'm Until... going off with another woman, but I'll always be there for you. But bugger many, off. many, many years later, when I was editor of Marie Claire, Kerry, the very willing Kerry, put him through and he said, Hi, Liz, it's Trevor. Can you get me a cheap ticket to Jamaica? Bugger off. What's wrong? Men. So the only time he contacted me was when he wanted me to do something oh. for him. But let's face it, Prince is. If you're gonna if you're gonna be seduced or you're gonna try and seduce someone, it's Prince you play. It's either Marvin Gaye or Prince. I was so in love with Prince. I graduated from David Castillo and went on to Prince. I was so in love with Prince, and. I was very excited this weekend, wasn't I, Nick? You were really excited. Probably doesn't mean much to anyone, probably doesn't mean much to you because you're a fetus. <laughs> but this Sunday, that's just gone by, the Sunday Times magazine was celebrating 60 years of being a colour supplement. And it had all the iconic covers from over the years. So it had Sebastien Salgado and it had Henri Cotier-Bresson and an interview with Tony Blair by Leslie White, which I edited, and it had The Famine, and it had The Massacre in Rwanda, and I was there for all those covers. And then there, amongst the best covers of 60 years of history, was my cover interview with Prince. Woo-hoo! 
which I got off my own bat. And I flew to Minneapolis to interview him. And I was so nervous, I bought a new jacket. So I went to Old Bond Street before I got on the plane and I bought a helmet lang jacket with little slits at the elbow. So I thought, well, Prince will like that. I remember that jacket. Yeah, I think Gracie ate it. Gracie did eat it. And I got to Minneapolis and I was staying in this hotel with a couple of other journalists. And they said to me the night before we were going to go to Paisley Park and meet Prince. They said, come down to the bar and have a drink. Come down to the bar and have a drink. I'm like, no. I'm preparing for Fritz. I'm preparing. I have to be in the zone. I've got to go to bed early. I've My got to... God, if it takes you that long to prepare for a date, what the hell preparations are you going to do? It was to the new Prince? helmet lung. Oh, dear God. And so my cover interview with Prince, and I interviewed him very shortly after he lost his child who died, sort of hours after being born and he still agreed to the interview with me and I was so nervous interviewing Prince that I was stammering so Prince started copying me and imitating me and then I said to Prince I'm so happy that we could do you you it, wish. You and wish, so Prince Jones. was going oh you want to do me you want to do me and I was like I went crimson what did you say? Yes, yes. <laughs> Get them off. Yes. But I was one of the covers. My piece of Prince was one of the covers from sixty years, and it was a golden. Age. I worked at the Sunday Times all through the eighties and all through the nineties until I left to edit Marie Claire, and it was a golden time. I mean, I worked with so many amazing people. I worked with Lord Snowden, and I worked with David Bailey. And every year, they probably don't do it anymore, they used to take a picture of the staff. And then someone in the art department, as people were sat, he used to sort of blot out their faces. But every year they took a picture of the, st- of the staff. So one of the pictures of the staff I'm in, and it was taken by Terry O'Neill, who's a very famous photographer, and he was married to Faye Dunaway, and he took that famous picture of her by the pool when she won an Oscar. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And at the t- you think at the time you don't know it's an amazing time, but at the time I did know it was an amazing yeah. time because you were so privileged to be there. Well, you'd worked hard to be there, hadn't you? And you appreciated being there. Well, it's like, for example, when we published the Andrew Morton... Who's barking? I don't know. Gracie! Gra- yeah, it's Gracie. It's like it's when we published the Andrew Morton book about Diana, about her throwing herself down the stairs and not being in love with Charles and Charles having affairs and everything. It, it was just so exciting to be there when we were publishing this. It's part of history. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was distracted by the dogs growling. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we don't have those those people in our lives now, do we? You know, like Prince or Diana... George Michael, any of them. These but so many of the people I work with now. have died, which suddenly makes you feel really old. Like A.A. A. Gillis died because I edited his pieces when he went off to famines in Africa. Carol Salas died, who I used to edit her pieces, and um, she was an amazing journalist. But most of them were really, really nice people, very eccentric. There was, you know, talking about party gate in number 10, there was so much drinking in Fleet Street then. I remember at one Christmas party, someone just fell out the window. 
So it's worked so hard, much hard. drinking. Yeah, yeah. But you really felt you were making history and you were part of history. So I was so... No one else would appreciate it, really, but to have my cover, knowing how scared I was when I did it, and I bought my jacket, and I was so terrified of meeting Prince. But to have it there as one of the key covers but in it wasn't 60 just, years... Uh, it wasn't just an interview for you, was it? He was, he, you loved Prince. You were so enamoured by him. It was, it was more than an interview for you, wasn't it? It was you meeting someone that you absolutely worshipped. Well, I always tended to do that. I always tended to try and get interviews with people I was really fascinated with or in love with or were my idols. Yeah. Um, and he could tell, Prince could tell I was really nervous and he could tell how much it, it meant to me. And he knew me anyway because I used to go and watch him in concert before I interviewed him. And I remember I went to see him at Wembley Arena and I went 17 nights in a row. Oh, my God. And I always got the front row because I was friends with Eileen, who ran his fan club. So he always used to get the fan club the front row. And so I was always in the front thing. <laughs> you were there. And I, I, I'm going to sing now. I, <laughs> I would die for you. I always did the hand movement. You're doing doing well, God. I would die for you. And Prince would, like, roll his eyes as if to say, what are you doing here again? Why are you here again? (laughs) So he knew I loved him. And when he died, I remember I was standing on King's Cross Station and my nephew texted me. And I often wonder why Prince's death didn't have as much of an impact as, say, David Bowie. Because there was... David Bowie nights on BBC Two yeah. and radio. There was nothing for Prince, really, nothing. No, no. And he was just... And physically, he was just so... He was just so small and so sweet. And I remember I went to the exhibition at the O2, which I reviewed for the Mail on Sunday of, of Prince a while after he died. And there was his dressing table with all his makeup and his hair dye. And seeing his dressing table with all the makeup and the hair dye, it made me think, God, he was a real person. Yeah. He was so talented, though, wasn't he? I mean, but... But if you compare, you know, everyone goes on and on about Adele and she was getting Brit Awards. I couldn't watch it last night. It made me feel so old. I didn't know anyone anyone was on the Brit Awards. And there's Adele with all the makeup on and everything and winning everything. But if you compare her lyrics to Prince... No competition. um, you know, when nothing compares to you. He wrote, all the flowers in the backyard, you know, have all died since you went. She writes yeah. nothing like no. that. Or, race cars burn rubber in my pants. Yeah. Brilliant. No, How amazing. else do you describe male desire? Do you realise? Race cars burn rubber in my pants. My favourite is Scandalous. I love That, if you're going to seduce someone... Just play scandalous. There's no one that can resist you with that playing in the background. But I remember I went to the Diamonds and Pearls tour, which was in West London somewhere, and I stood in front of Lulu and she didn't see anything. (laughs) Poor Lulu. (laughs) Poor Lulu. Oh, God. In fact, I remember an ex trying to play scandalous in a car. He thought thought it was going to romanticise me. Do you know what I mean? Classy. In a car on South End Seafront. That's a no. That's a no, not even for Prince. But I've been watching The Tinder Swindler on Netflix. Have you seen that? I've not even heard of that. What's that? It's number one on Netflix. What is it? 
It's a it's a documentary, but it's about an hour and 40, 45 minutes long, so it's a film length. It's not a series, it's a documentary. And it's about these women who met a man on Tinder and he gets them to think he's an heir to this diamond mine and a diamond billionaire. I forgot and to say. he's on a private jet and he buys them dinner and he flies them all around all, all over the place and they all end up taking out loans and giving him money and then the the brilliant bit in the film is they have these photographs that you put on Instagram of him with a model and him with the diamond family and suddenly he's erased he put himself into all these pictures it shows you how clever they are and this story came out of all these women being swindled by this man and a lot of people, when the story came out, they commented on Twitter and on the comment section. Well, these women were just after a wealthy man, and why were they so stupid? And they were obviously gold diggers and everything. But it just shows you how easy it is to be scammed by someone. Like, it wouldn't occur to me that a photo wasn't real, and he put himself next to this family, and he put himself in a jet, and he put himself flying a plane. Yeah, yeah. But it is possible now. No, it's amazing what you can do now. And, and I know sort of on Twitter, I'm, I, I, I don't know why, but I'm regularly contacted by people that find me amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And they're these very, very handsome, lovely men who can't speak English very well. And they're all single dads with, with children. And eventually, they were, I mean, I'll just obviously block them. But this catfishing thing, even at a low level on, on, on Twitter or social media, where they contact you, they try and sort of, you know, get to know you. And eventually they will ask you for money. And you, if you do a reverse search on Google, to find, you'll find out that the picture is stolen off somebody else's social media account and used. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. It's so easy now. But it, I absolutely recommend watching The Tinder Swindle. Yeah, it's so that. well made. It's so, it's made like a thriller. Yeah. It's really well put together. But I loved the woman at the end. He was the final woman he scammed. And she just said, right, I'm having none of this. He kept begging her for money. He said, I'm living in a hostel. I've been arrested and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so she said, well, I'm going to come and meet you in Amsterdam or whatever. You give me all your designer clothes and I'll sell them for you because I work in fashion and everything. And she steams all the clothes and the Versace and she sells them. She keeps all the money. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Well done, that bird. But the last girl in the film who stands up to him and scams him... You're just cheering at the screen. She's yeah. absolutely fantastic. You wouldn't mess with her. But what is it that makes us so, I mean, bloody stupid and vulnerable to that the men get away with it? I mean, I, I suppose there are possibly women that do this as well, but what makes someone so desperate for a relationship and so desperate to, to believe someone that they believe that someone that's rich and is flying around in a jet suddenly needs money off of you. Well, because he said, well, I've suddenly got a security problem. I can't use my credit cards because they'll track it. I need to borrow your credit card because I can't use mine because, yeah. look, my, my bodyguard's got a head wound. So it's, no, it's very clever. It's like a thrill. You've got like to watch it. That's some sort of Tom Cruise film, isn't it? That's not even yeah. believable. That's just like... Awful. No, I can't use my credit card because I'm in danger and then track it. I need to use yours and can you take out a loan? But there must be something in these women that that are so desperate for this sort of relationship. No, but they're actually in. really beautiful, accomplished, lovely women. Mm. They're not desperate. Well, I don't think they value themselves enough. 
I don't. I don't. They should just smell BS. They should. So you've been reading What Do Men Want Now? I do. Well, I, I, it was published, it's by Nina Powell, and it was published on the 3rd of February. And it was coming up to Valentine's Day. And I was, oh, we're going to come to We Valentine's are going to come to Valentine's Day. That horrible little square on I the calendar. I love it. I love Valentine's Day. I love it. And I thought, do you know what? I really don't understand Martin most of the time. I don't, you know. Like, this is her boyfriend. New, well, New Year's Eve at lunchtime, he decided he was staying down and going out with his mates and just abandoning me, you know. No, no consideration for what I'd be doing, left on my own. And my birthday was working away. He didn't leave me a car, didn't leave me a wrapped up bar of chocolate in the bedside cabinet. Doesn't have to be expensive, just something to show that he'd thought about it. So I'm thinking, oh God, what are we going to get for Valentine's Day? So it just, this book come up and I thought, you know, I'm going to read this book and see if I can understand him a bit better. But I kind of thought it's it would be something along the lines of men are from Mars and women are from Venus and... I was expecting answers to why they leave the empty bottles in the fridge and why they put the rubbish next to the bin and their dirty clothes on the floor and not in the laundry basket, that sort of thing. Um, but it's not at all. It's it's a really intelligent, it's meaty and quite captivating philosophical investigation into the cultural situation around the roles of of sex and gender and the resulting communication and miscommunication that we have between the sexes so it's not a light read it's not it's not it's not the heaviest read but it's it's not a light read and she starts off really with a a, a quite a short discussion about biological sex and and gender and fluidity and things like that and how that's affected us and also about this sort of hate culture we've got against men, quite a lot of, of, of women are sort of very anti-men. And I know we've been accused of being anti-men on this podcast, which we're not at all, are we? We're just anti-chitty men. We're anti-men. No, I'm just anti-three-and-a-half men who I've been out with. Yeah, we're sort of anti-men that don't behave nicely. I love Paul nicely. McCartney. You do love Paul McCartney. And, you know, sort of, <laughs> there's been books like I Hate Men by Pauline Harmange, which was published in 2020, where she says that men are violent, selfish, lazy, cowardly, they rape and murder us and that women should stick to sisterhood. And apparently there was a on Twitter a hashtag kill all men. I mean, that's so unacceptable. Yeah, um, I know. I've been re-watching The Fall with Ginny and Addison and Jamie oh, Dornan. I love that. Oh, my God, I love that. That's such and a good thing. she says something interesting is that she says men worry that women are going to laugh at them, women yeah. worry that men are going to kill them. yeah. And there was a truth to that, but then when Sarah Everard got murdered, there was a big anti-men backlash, and there was a hashtag, not all men. Yeah, and yeah. I remember one of her friends wrote a very moving piece saying, well, actually, her brothers and her male best friends, they all were looking for her frantically. Not all men are no, like no, that. No, 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 no. So I don't, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the topic, isn't it, really, yeah. at the moment? It's the topic. And these stereotypes. And all of us can only go from our own experience. Yeah. And I would go from my experiences. My brothers were completely useless when it came to helping me and they were only concerned with their own families. The men I've been out with only cared about how they felt. And I look back at my dad 
who fought the Nazis. <laughs> but she brings up every opportunity to shock people. She did, papers. but that was being a man. He actually went and fought the Nazis. And he never said a sharp word to my mum. They respected no. each other. And I thought that's how men and women should yeah, be. Yeah, of course. And my mum respected my dad... Because he went and fought and he could have been killed. Now, you can be as feminist as you like. Women didn't go and fight the Nazis, did they? They might have been the odd spy and they might have helped crack codes and they might have been on farms and everything. But we need to not forget, there's only one generation behind me, that men actually went and could be killed. And my mum didn't see him for three years. She didn't know if he'd come back. So I think women have forgotten that men are capable of doing that. Yeah. And men have just become pathetic babies. Well, I think with what I like about this book is it's it's really sensible. It is written by a feminist, but it's not in any way as an attack on... on, It's it's a really balanced approach to to looking at what's going wrong. No, I'd love to read that, actually. Yeah, I'll bring it for you. It's really good. But you see, I think most women put up with that because they want something out of it. Yeah. And they keep it quiet, so they want the mortgage paid and they want to give up their work and they want to have children. But because you and I haven't done that, we haven't had children, they're not paying the mortgage, um, we're not going to put up with it. So I think most women put up with men and live with men because... They help pay their mortgage and they give them children. I don't think there's any other reason to have them. But are we actually facilitating the fact that men can't talk to us? I mean, when when Martin tries to talk to me, one of the things he says is, will you shut up? Because I'm trying to offer solutions. I'm trying to say, okay, well, we can do this, this and this. And actually, I, I, when I think about it, I'm listening in order to respond to... to, to give him solutions when actually he doesn't want me to do that he wants me to listen to listen not listen to respond and reading this book it sort of really made me question the dynamics between the sexes and 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 how we are so different and how we can sort of bring that together. No, I think the, the thing my last boyfriend said to me most often was I can't stand you shouting I don't know why you shout at me and everything and there was one of the experts on Love Island, of all things, because I'm quite lowbrow, she Nothing said, um, not Love Island, Married at First Sight. So all the Australian men on Married at First Sight said, oh, you keep shouting, you keep doing this, you get... And so the expert said to the couples, it's not always the person that's shouting that's in the wrong. No. You're in the wrong because you're not responding, you're not answering, you're not telling her what you need. So it's not always the woman jumping no. up and down no, no, that's no. in the wrong. It's not. No, definitely. I just think, and I mean, and I've always thought this, but reading this book has sort of made me. There's a reason we shout. It's because they don't listen. Yeah. It's because they clam up. It's because they won't do what's best for them we're trying to help them and they that is, so you have yeah. to shout because they don't listen and that is what we're doing but actually i'm wondering if sometimes i mean I'm, i can only talk for myself but i'm wondering sometimes if i'm not allowing that space to let whoever it is talk to me to no express i think himself. with martin he just wants to plow his own furrow 
and not be interfered with. Oh, no, he wants that as well. But I think we should really embrace what's different between men and women because, after all, that's what attracts us, isn't it? That is part of the attraction, that they are different. So I was telling Martin that I was going to review this book and I was talking about this book and I said to him, OK, you're, you're a male. You tell me, what do men want? Let, you know, let's put the book aside. You tell me, what do men want? So he looked at me really blankly and said... Well, I want a tractor. <laughs> so that's it, ladies. Men want a tractor. Get them a tractor. Get them a tractor. Get them a toy tractor. Yeah, be happy. So, so what about Valentine's Day? Come on, I love Valentine's Day. Well, it's always a disappointment, isn't it? I mean, even when I was married, wouldn't you think I was guaranteed something nice on Valentine's Day. He'd just turn up with some red flowers with glitter on and bung them on the table and said, oh, it was so embarrassing walking back with these. I look such a cliché. Don't put glitter on my flowers. Bloody hell, what is he, Voldemort, sucking the joy out of giving someone flowers? Yeah, but you know, he could suck the joy out of anything. Oh, my God, it's like a Death Eater. Honestly, give something with a good heart. Give it with a good heart. See, I don't think women should give men things on Valentine's. They should only give you things. I don't think it works two ways. No, I'm I'm a bit like that, actually. I'm a bit... (laughs) I want the man to sort of just be lovely to me and look after me. And I have had some lovely Valentine's days. I have. Um, My ex would... Did they shove you out of a plane without a parachute? No, no, but they'd send me lovely flowers and balloons and take me out for lovely meals. And I remember one Valentine's Day, my ex, Tony, who was like the love of my life, I woke up and the bed was covered in presents and he bought me breakfast in bed and he just made me feel like I was like the most wonderful person in the world. He was just... He made me feel wonderful. And I think that's what your other half should do. They should make you feel happy and empowered and wonderful. Do you think I will be getting anything this weekend? To be honest, I sort of dread to think. I I kind of dread to think, really, because if you do, it's probably not going to be what you want or it's not going to make you happy. So I kind of dread to think. You may do, you may do, but I, I suspect it won't be, it won't be your happy place. No. It won't be my first De Beers Diamonds. No, it won't. Do you think I'll get anything? <laughs> washing? Yeah, washing, yeah. Picking up the dirty laundry off the floor. There's no chances they're in hell. I, I think you're going to have to report back next week. No, next week I am going to report back on did Martin come through for Valentine's Day or was it New Year's Day revisited? He's not not going to come through. He's not going to come through. I've even said to him, you will book a table, won't you, for for Valentine's Day? Because obviously things get booked up. You know it's a Monday. I do. But I I was trying to sort of just give him a little bit of help and say, you know, you'll book a table for dinner, won't you, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, leave it with me. Nothing's going to happen. If I have to eat my words next week, so be it. But I'll probably have died of shock if he's made an effort. And I'm going to report back as to whether I got any glittery flowers. I don't know what you're... I love a bit of glitter on a rose. I love glitter. I love glitter. I love fairy lights. There's nothing wrong with glitter. But do you know what the theme of my column is this week? Go on. Do you know what the heading is? 
I've got it right in front of me. I love being single. In which I realise I love being single. Being single is a good thing. If It's better than being with someone you're miserable with. So today, if you are single, listening to this, you might be doing what I'm doing. So imagine it's a Sunday, the day before Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day Eve. If you're single, you'll be reading the papers with your tweezers in hand. So multitasking. I will be walking my dogs with no one moaning that something ahead looks like a slope. That looks like a slope. God forbid you should walk up a slope. That looks like a slope. Oh, my God. That's, that's, like, that's like Arctic Himalayas or something, isn't it? I'm making a vegan bolty for dinner, followed by a triple bill of Kira Knightley, culminating in Pride and Prejudice without cries in the background of I can't stand watching anything with bonnets. To be fair, your Valentine's Day is sounding better than what mine would be, except you haven't got the Colin Firth one. No, I think whatever his name is is better. No, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Colin Firth is by far better. I won't have to ask anyone to do anything apart from you, and you never do anything. (laughs) Dear God, my printer has just spewed out all by itself a progress report. My printer is more proactive than any man I've had in my life. It did it all by itself. It didn't have to be asked and asked again and asked four times. No one will criticise me. No one will say, can't you wear the other tracky bottoms? Or the curry you took two hours to make from scratch would be better without the coconut yoghurt. Oh, dear. This was from someone who doesn't own a teaspoon. Yeah. No one will smoke in my bathroom. No one will shout, mini puppy, and anything other than a sing-song voice. You have to not... And also, don't you tell my dogs what to do. They're nothing to do with you. That's, don't tell my dogs what to do. That's an absolute and rule, isn't don't it? Don't shout mini puppy unless you use a sing-song voice. That's an absolute mini rule. Puppy. Do not shout at my dogs. That is an absolute dating rule. No one will say, why are you watching the sex and the whatever it is reboot? <gasps> that's, that's guaranteed to piss you off. That really is. I'll tell you why. Those women... Saw me through my darkest moments. A cheating husband, divorce. Carrie Bradshaw is me, even down to her Apple Mac. As hers evolved, so did mine. She hides from editors who moan her column is late. She writes books. She has no money. She's considering a half facelift and internet dating. The funniest bit in the reboot is Steve, Miranda's husband, has got a hearing aid. And when he's bored with them all talking to him, he just takes the hearing aid out. I've always thought that was a plus point. I've got to be honest. I had a spat online with a columnist the other day who couldn't see the point of the reboot and just like that, saying the women are now fragile, flummoxed by technology. And in a way, she's right. They are fragile. Miranda has a drink problem. She's confused about what it is to be woke. Carrie needs an operation on her hip. The intimate scene where Miranda has to help Carrie to the loo revolted this other columnist, and I'm sure many viewers. The thing is, the commentators who criticise and just like that have no inkling of what life is like for so many of us. Most commentators have mortgages almost paid off, a husband they finally managed to train, giant children. But like Carrie and co, not every woman is lucky enough to get to almost 60 and be sorted. In her frailty, again, Carrie's life mirrored mine. 
I was so ill last year that Nick, my friend and assistant, had to steer me to the bathroom, hold a cup of water to my lips and worse. There was no one else. No man turned up to help me. No family member got in touch. It was a revelation to see scenes where Carrie relied on her friends, and only her friends, in sickness and in grief. Like Miranda, I too had the first Blackberry in the 1990s. I was one of the first on Fleet Street to learn how to put a Sunday newspaper together using a computer instead of cow gum and a scalpel. But even today, like Miranda, I'm still flummoxed by passwords, updates, clouds. The reason, after I gave my old iPhone to an ex, that I was bombarded on my phone by photos he had taken by mistake. Minnie! Minnie! She sees she's groaning again. She's joining in. She's like, oh dear. Nick told me I hadn't erased the old phone. I should have erased it. Ew! Photos taken by mistake that made me even more glad I'm alone. What on earth is that? We got that photo and we're going, what is it? What is it? What is it? I didn't want to look too closely just in case. I was a bit nervous. But there was a line in episode eight that made me yell at the screen. It was from Carrie to Miranda when she announced she was about to tell Steve she was leaving him. Are you sure, Carrie said. Are you sure? That's my, are you sure? <laughs> That's the worst accent ever. It's <laughs> badges of singing. Because alone in theory is very different than alone in reality. Yeah, yeah it's better. I've seen couples therapy. Have you watched couples therapy on no. BBC? It's all these couples having therapy. And I don't know how these people stand it. Block him. Block him. <laughs> Throw him out. Drive his possessions tonight's bridge. Block him. As Beyonce says, you're not irreplaceable. I'm sick of men annoying me. Even when I've blocked them, they manage to creep under the door. That's, that is actually a bit stalkery. If you're blocked, you should stay blocked. Yesterday, a package arrived on my doorstep. It contained a useless box that does nothing. I looked it up on Amazon. It said suitable for five-year-olds. Cryptic. Word of the week, cryptic. I think we've had cryptic as a word of the week, haven't we? Chippy and cryptic. We could combine the two. Money-wasting. Yeah. Why send someone something completely stupid? Someone's trying to make a point, aren't they? I know who the child is here. As Steve says to Miranda, as she breaks his heart, I'm too old to rally for us again. Bugger off! You're blocked! Blocked! We're revisiting blocked. I like that word anyway. You can read this week's diary in full Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Tell us about the letters, Nat. So the letters this week, we've heard from a guy, Jeremy, and... Not my ex-friend, Jeremy. Don't think so. He says, hi, I've just read this week's column, and as a bloke, I'm wondering why you will put yourself through all that injecting, waxing, tinting and other stuff, just for some random guy that you may or may not like. I'm not judging you, I'm just wondering, that's all, just be yourself. I think that's a really good point. But you do it for you, don't but you? But myself isn't good enough. But yourself is good enough, that's the point. That is the point. And Hazel says, 
Dear Liz, I enjoy reading your column on Sunday mornings. What I like about them and you is that you never stop caring or give up on life. So I really hope you find what you're looking for. Somehow, with first dates, I find all the talk of bikini waxing weird. Are you really going to have that area investigated on date one? <laughs> no, but it's about inner po- It's like, as Bridget would say, it's inner poise. Well, saying that, though, it depends what he looks like. I mean, not being funny, at 60, what are you waiting for? It's not like you're waiting for your wedding night, is it? If crack it was on. Nigel. No, but do you know what I mean? What are you saving yourself for at 60? <laughs> crack on, you know? So she says... As a 60-something-year-old, I'd definitely not do that, just saying. All the other grooming bits I love because I don't bother with them and it's good to hear about them. I still work as a receptionist, so I need to look groomed and approachable. See? See, the thing is, it's is I think... It's part of your job to look clean and approachable. I do think, though, you get to Do you think age. I want to go and do a photo shoot wearing un valigere for the paper with mad hair? No. But you make, it makes you feel better as well. But, you know, I mean, when I was young and I was sort of all a bit like... Minnie. I'm not, not kissing on Minnie. the first... <laughs> Minnie! I'm not kissing on the first day. Now I'm in my 50s, I'm just like, well, I'm not being funny. I ain't got much time left. I might as well, if, if you know, do what I want to do. What are you waiting for? Crack on. Have you ever had sex on a first date? I'm not answering that because my mother's listening. I, I'm, I'm pleading Fifth Amendment. I'm not answering. Actually, No. I had sex with my future husband on the first date. But at least he then married you. See, that doesn't work, you see. People say, don't have but sex on the first date. But then it turns out he didn't fancy me and we didn't have anything in common. He didn't want to do it anyway. Well, well. and then, <laughs> so moving on from, from Lizzie's nether regions, we had an email from lovely, lovely Lisa. And lovely Lisa was really kind. She wanted to send me and Liz a Valentine's Day present because she felt sorry for us that we're feeling a bit underappreciated and a bit miserable. And she said, listening to your podcast, catching up in the car, it made me sad that you feel so unappreciated. I think you're lovely and kind and funny. I wanted to send a huge... I wanted to send a huge wild at heart bouquet for you to look at and know someone across the pond is driving around smiling because of you both. Where does she live then? She's in the USA. But what a lovely, lovely Lisa. So we said to Lisa, thank you so much. She's, world, she's heard of wild at heart in America. She's heard of, yeah, everyone's heard of wild at heart. Have they? Um, I, think, I think she might be English because she did say about in another email when we were chatting that we reminded her of being in England. But... Lovely Lisa, that's what she's called now. She's called Lovely Lisa. We obviously said thank you. It's just enough. If you love the podcast, that is enough for us. That cheers us up, doesn't it? We really, really love hearing that. But Lisa was very insistent and she very kindly sent £100, which, with her permission, we have donated to Animal Hope in Uganda, which is an amazing charity. It's, it's this, this man in Uganda is a vegan and he gives free medical care to local farmers, local families, wildlife. He feeds the stray dogs and he looks after those. And he's just this amazing man that does so much. And what's brilliant about him is that he is educating the next generation. He's, he's educating the children. He's teaching them how to look after the animals. He's teaching them respect for the animals. And he's, he's just I think he's unbelievable, but he hasn't had a lot of donations because in Uganda he don't have PayPal. So I've set up a GoFundMe page for him so that people can donate to him very easily, and I, and that's who we sent Lisa's money to. And 
we're going to put the GoFundMe link on with the podcast. So, so the that... man in Uganda's got the money and I don't have the world at heart flowers. No, but you feel good that he's got the money. That, that will buy drugs for the animals. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.